0: Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven, and eight figure Amazon and e commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e commerce podcast, The E commerce Leader, co hosted by myself, Michael Veazey, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unami's highest rated e commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for the e-commerce leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls. Welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place for six, seven and eight-figure Amazon sellers and business owners, least we forget. Today, we are talking to some of the sharpest guys around. Jeremy Bell is with us from Elevate Brands. We've already had a couple of guys, Lo Martin, their wonderful chief marketing officer. Now, we're going to talk M&A stuff. So, Jeremy is the mergers and acquisitions officer at Elevate Brands. He's been selling on Amazon since 2016. So, everyone in the team there is seasoned Amazon operators and Elevate Brands are there to, to buy consumer-leading Amazon brands and elevate them to their full potential. What a wonderful word, elevate. It's very high high-flown, very, very high-spirited somehow. So, Jeremy, first of all, warm welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: No, Thank you. Happy to be
0: here. Yeah, it's great. I, I was just saying to you just before we got on that uh, when I heard from you guys, like, must have been the fifteenth aggregator of the year to get in touch. It's it's the feeding frenzy time that I I asked around amongst my uh, Amazon seller friends, and the reputation on the on the street is very good because which is good because there's nothing like an Amazon selling Brit to be super cynical. So you guys are winning some some good admiration out there, which is why I thought I'd better get you on the show. So you're the M and A expert. We've already talked with Low about brand building we've we've talked with many, many people on the show about the general generalities of selling your business. So today I'd love to plunge in to the deal structure piece, because obviously that's something that is is kind of a bit of a closed book to a lot of yep. owner operators, because it's well outside their daily experience. It has nothing to do with the daily experience really of, of Amazon operating, right? So before we plunge into that, just give us a very potted history of like one minute on you and you and Amazon selling, if you like.
1: Yeah, perfect. So I started my career in you know, corporate finance, mergers and acquisitions and, and private equity. So I come from the the kind of traditional finance background. You know, more recently, I've kind of spent the last number of years working for big corporates, doing less of the kind of technical finance stuff. And when I moved to the US with my wife, I, I got involved with in, in Amazon. So, you know, we bought our first business in, in 2019 and I, I managed that business for the first six months. So I think that what that gave me is, you know, we, we went through everything from getting black hat attacked through to having supply chain issues. And I think what it's, what it's done is, as we've built out our MA team. It's just made us um, more efficient and we think about things better for some of those kind of experiences that we've had. And ultimately we think that makes us better, better acquirers of, of these businesses.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, we were talking about that as well. I think sometimes taking a few lumps in, in the real world, particularly dealing yeah. with Amazon seller support, uh, ha ha. What an ironic name that is that he, obviously you're going to know the realities uh, when you're trying to scale that up. You know what the bucking bronco is that you're dealing with, which I think really helps. So let's talk about deal structure then. So everyone's obsessed with the idea of multiples mm. and it's, is it three times EBITDA or is it 3.2? And of course, that's a very simplistic thing, isn't it? Because that's not really, we're not comparing apples to apples in many cases. So tell us first of all, is that even a... Yeah. Tell me, first of all, is how big a mistake is it to just go, these guys are going to give me 2.8x EBITDA and these guys are three, I'm going with the three?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good question because I think the first thing you need to do is break down the offer into its components. And the simplest way to do that is how much cash do I get at close and then how much cash do I get post-close? And and the the key thing driving the difference in the structure is what's called an earnout or a stability payment. The people use different jargon, but effectively it's a payment that will get paid to you after the business has been sold, and should reward you for either the business staying flat or future growth. And and so so the key thing for people to think about and buyers to think about is if you do have an earnout structure which rewards you for future performance how good an operator is the buyer that should be the fundamental question that you ask yourself because otherwise how much is that earnout really worth if if you don't have any confidence that the new owner knows what they're doing
0: Perfect. Okay. So we're going to talk about, I know that in our next episode, we've got a list of, I think eight questions that you should ask any potential buyer, particularly if you've got an earnout. but just to clarify the options nice and cleanly. So you talked about cash at close versus cash after close. That's a nice, simple division. So I think you've got three options that we've talked about with the deal structure. So what are those three basics? And then we'll dig into each of them.
1: Yes. So so taking it from the top, the the first one is cash at close. So it's a clean exit. You get paid after close, and then you never get another payment. So it's a clean break. The second one is an earnout structure, which rewards you. You know, you get a portion of the consideration at close, and then either future milestone dates, you'll get paid further consideration, which should be linked to performance. That that's how we like to structure it, and and it basically means that if the business grows you could make more from those future payments than you do get cash at close. But obviously, you're taking a little bit of risk with time and, and how good an operator are they to continue to grow the business. And then the last structure is, it's it's called like a, a joint venture or a partial sell-down where you know, the, the, the seller, and typically it applies to bigger businesses or people that want to launch a new product on Amazon and don't have any Amazon experience. We, we've done that before. It's called like a JV or a partial sell-down where, you may sell down 30 or 40 percent. Sorry, you may keep 30 or 40% of the shares in your business and the the buyer will own the, the rest. So they'll be in control. And that really works in scenarios where, you know, the buyer, they could be like a private equity buyer or, or it could be a bigger asset. And they're gonna need the existing team to stay in place to continue to run the business. So you know that that structure works, but you know, the key with that structure is you've got to have a mechanism to be able to sell your shares at some point in the future. Otherwise you could just be stuck owning 30, 40% of this Amazon business and not be able to sell it.
0: That's a very good point. And, and yeah, that's, whenever people say to me they want to raise, which is a slightly different question, but not not a billion miles away, I guess. Inflation used to be a million miles away, didn't it? So. One of the things that I say to people when they want to raise cash is, yeah, don't just casually raise equity because that means giving away part of the company. What mechanism do you have to deal with it at the other end if you want to sell the business or close it or liquidate it, you know, so to, to deal with that ownership. And, and as soon as you have partial ownership, it strikes me that that cause it's a bit complex. I mean, without going down a rabbit hole here, I guess the obvious question is what are the basic do's and don'ts in that sort of situation?
1: of the, of the partial. Of the yeah. It's to say yeah. if
0: somebody, if you own 30% of your business and you have some JV agreement with a private equity company, say, which is, I know more, more likely to be the case. Cause I, we've spoken to some private equity companies recently that have that kind of structure. Okay. What kind of things I'll, I'll, should we be looking out for?
1: I'll give you, so there's some very practical things. Here's a war story for everyone to wrap their head around. Uh, I've met a guy who's got a great Amazon business. He owns 30% of it, and the other 70% of it is owned by like just people with money. And and yeah, you know, every time he's in stock, he gets the bestseller badge, and he's the number one product in the category. And he should make a million dollars profit a year. But the only like he ha- he can't stay in stock for more than four months because his shareholders don't want to invest any money. And if he did, like he wants to, like he's exploring selling his business. And I've basically said to him, like, don't sell your business. Stay in stock for twelve months and then sell it because you're going to get a better price. He's like, I can't because my shareholders don't want to contribute any equity. They don't. They don't understand it. So, so the key there is you have to have a robust operating agreement, and that sets out the rights of what each shareholder is, is allowed to do and how you're going to govern the business going forward. And that should include stuff like if I want to put more money into inventory and you don't, then you're 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 going to get diluted down. It also plays into things like, if we want to sell the business, how does that work? Like, at what point can we sell the shares in this business? Because some people, if you're stuck as a minority shareholder, you know, are you going to get screwed if you want to sell the business and you can't? You need protections in the operating agreement. The other thing which is big is like, you know, if you don't really know your partners that well, you need to clearly define who does what, because after you close the transaction, if they said they were going to manage all the accounting and HR and the, the advertising and they don't, then you need to be able to rely on the legal agreement to ensure they do what they said they were going to do before you signed you signed your life over. So go and get a really great lawyer. Have really strong legal protections in place. You know, often you don't need them, but but they're really important for when people, the reality turns out to different to, to what people said they were going to do before you partnered with them.
0: So strong legal like agreements are key. Amazing. They've spoken as somebody who's got that MA background. I can hear that you, you've been there and got the t-shirt with some of this stuff. I can hear in your voice like you've seen the, the ugliness. So now that makes total sense. A lot of it, it strikes me as is, is two things that this is a sort of meta theme that comes across a lot of things. One is just clear, clear agreements. The second one is yeah. in writing. And the third one is don't skimp on the legal fees, which applies in this area. It applies in intellectual property protection, which I know if you get that wrong, your business could be practically unsellable. It's interesting, isn't it? That it comes down to just really being very, very professional, I guess, a lot of this stuff, it strikes me.
1: Um, I, I 100% agree. Like, have a great accountant. Have a good lawyer. Get your IP protected. Yeah. your business will be worth more for it. And when you sell it, you'll get more for it because you've done things properly. And it's
0: not that expensive. Great. Well, all the lawyers out there should be giving us commissions and buying us drinks. Unfortunately, lawyers aren't allowed to do affiliate deals in the UK or the US. So we, we can buy, they can buy us drinks. So we talked about the cash clean exit. We talked about the JV and partial sale. It doesn't sound like that's something that at Elevate brands you, you generally operate. Is that right? What, what kind of options do you guys uh, operate? The earnouts, obviously, something we need to discuss as well. But just to sort of put on the table what you guys offer and what you don't, are all three of these on on the table potentially?
1: Yeah, so all, all three are on the table, but typically what we see is most sellers gravitate towards a, a cash clean exit or an earnout. So so one of the things I'd say about the cash the cash at close exit is typically your total deal proceeds will be less than if you have the earnout, because basically the the as a buyer will reward you for taking less cash at close and, and and riding the risk with us. The thing about cash exits is some people have very, you know, it depends on their financial situation. Like you've got kids going to college, you'd like to retire, you need the money to roll into your next Amazon venture, which is becoming more and more common. You know, people value the cash at close option. But if I just give you an example of like, it depends on the other thing to think about just outside your your financial circumstances. Many solo entrepreneurs struggle to do everything well, in terms of managing your business. And we have a team of, it's, we have a team of 90 today. It's going to approach 100 in the next couple of weeks. All of those people are specialists at every single part of your business. So we can do the 1% really well. And we bought a business um, last month. Year on year, that business is up 438%. And it's up month on month, 78%. That's, just, that's revenue growth. And, and the reason for it is, is because all we've done is we've just optimized the supply chain and we've stayed in stock. So, so, you know, if you were to, if you were in that circumstance and you were to take the cash at close offer, you've left a lot of value on the table. In that case, we, we basically said to the buyer, we think like, sorry, to the seller, we think there's great upside here. And, and they went down the earn out route, but like, that's a prime example of where people, you know, if there's a lot of upside in your business and you want to stand behind it, cash at close, you know, cash at close can kind of it doesn't let you ride that 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 upside but it does give you really good financial certainty
0: hmm interesting so i guess that it comes down to apart from the personal circumstances thing that you've mentioned i guess that that kind of is a pretty shocking slash fantastic, depending which deal you closed, right? So shocking yeah. statistic. If you had a cash clean exit, i.e. you got your money and you were very happy, and then the business revenue goes up 400% year on year, which is not subtle, even by the standards of Amazon, which can blow up, then I guess you'd be feeling pretty left out, wouldn't you? Whereas if this guy, thankfully, as I understand it, he took the earn out deal. So yeah. presumably his earn out is going to dwarf the original cash up front. if he's got a, is it what a typical two year earn out? That's the thing that I tend to hear. Or is it one year? or does that vary a bit
1: yeah so we're we're super flexible i think most sellers most sellers have been through the ring roll of amazon and they know that amazon jeff bezos can wake up you know on a tuesday and your entire landscape changes you know log in this week and all the seller central has a different report format you know shipping shipping restrictions have been lifted so you know a lot of sellers know how how volatile amazon can be so what we found is most of them will will prefer a 12-month earnout because they can kind of see 12 months worth of performance. And beyond that, there, there's kind of beyond that, the two-year kind of earnout has less weight. But when we do, when we do see it, you know, if we if we look at the split of the payments, maybe 70% of the earnout will be in year one. And the next the 30, 30% of it will be linked to year two performance. So that that that's kind of what we see as a general rule of thumb across our transactions. But but most most buyers are happy with a a, a one-year earner.
0: Yeah, you make a very good point. I mean, Jeff Bezos wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and it's almost, it's not quite literally that, is it? But I I just remember I've never forgotten that their commitment to customer service means they're also committed to semi-suicidal acts. For example, I know that Jeff Bezos got the jeff at amazon.com email from somebody who's offended at seeing adverts for adult products. This was several years ago, but they basically turned off. I believe they just turned off. No, it wasn't email follow-up, sorry. And they turned off, I believe, every single email follow-up sequence for a period, which must have cost them hundreds of millions in lost revenue. And they did it because of one email. Now that is kind of amazing customer obsession, but also Kind of massively frightening as well, so this is the de- the beast we're dealing with uh, isn't it and and that's the most extreme version of sort of almost shooting yourself in the foot in order to make a point that I've ever remembered from the Amazon thing, but you're absolutely right, I and mean, this year this week it's like if your uh, imagery performance index has massively changed, so for some people it's amazing, and some people have got container loads of stuff halfway across the ocean from China to the u k in our case, and they're going ah. Now I have a big problem and they're phoning the 3PLs and all the rest of it. So I hear you. <laughs> we all hear you. Volatility. Name of the game. So when it comes to the earnout structure then, I guess let's talk about, so I'm doing this in a slightly different order, but just to kind of recap what you said to keep a clean podcast, cash clean exit, earn outs. JV or partial sale, the three options. We talked about mm-hmm. the fact that if you if you do a cash clean exit, you don't get any of the upside. The JV sounds potentially tricky, but you need a very very good lawyer. What are the things that we need to be on the lookout for with the earnout structure in in terms of mistakes or or upsides that we should be looking out for?
1: a hundred percent. so there's there's two things to think through. The first one is just the math. like how does the math of the earnout work? And then the second one is like, how good an operator are you partnering with? So, so maybe if we unpack the math side of it first, the earnout. The, there's different ways to structure it. Some of them have like, you know, it's a payment that will increase or decrease with the amount of growth in the business. Others have what we call it's like a, it's like you've got to hit a hurdle, and if you hit that hurdle, whether it's revenue or earnings growth, then you can get paid X. So, so typically what we do is we don't really like those kind of hur- hurdle earnouts where you know, if if the business you know doesn't make more than a million bucks, then you don't get an extra you know three hundred thousand. We structure us more around if the business grows twenty percent, you'll you'll do twenty percent better. If it grows fifty percent, you'll do fifty percent better. I think it's a little bit fairer because you know there's things that it's, there's things that a buyer could do to basically just make sure they don't hit that um, hit that hurdle. So so we like to keep things fair and transparent. Yeah. The the, the other thing to, to, that I'd say is how that earnout is measured. You know, typically, it could be off revenue growth. It could be off gross um, gross profit or gross margin, or it could be based off EBITDA or SDE, as, as people call it here in the US. You've got to make sure how that's being calculated and defined is really clear because we've heard stories of it wasn't well-defined and you know, overhead of certain people ended up getting allocated to the business and it just crushed earnings. Or, you know, they launched new variations or they entered in new markets and those earnings or revenue weren't included. So it just depends on the the specific kind of cases of, of each 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 case is specific. You know, we've had earnouts linked to revenue. We've had earnouts linked to gross profit. We've had them linked to kind of SDE. So it, it just depends on the, we like to like understand what the buyer's objectives are and, and we, we kind of structure
0: around that. Um, so I was going to ask you one obvious question is, revenue revenues probably going to be the easier thing to define and measure, I guess. It seems yeah. to be one of the things that everyone finds easier. And I guess there's certain things like cash flow based metrics like Amazon payouts, which I know if you're doing management work, sometimes is a, is a preferred metric just because everyone can see it. Oh. They they say there's you know lies, damn lies, and statistics. It's not quite as bad in the financial world, but I know that a good accountant will be able to manipulate profit to a certain degree. If they use the word manipulate, obviously the S C E would be knocking on their door, and it would get a bit ugly. But you know, in practice, we all know that it's a bit of a tweak. So, uh, um, what's your thoughts about how wise is it to start? Looking at more manipulable metrics like gross margin, SDE. Do you stay away from that? Do you advise buyers to just go for revenue, or is it just like it doesn't really make much difference in your in your opinion?
1: It, it does, yeah. So it, it's kind of hard because I'm shooting myself in the foot, right? Like for any buyer, the best metric is SDE because it's kind of true profit, and the earnout should be linked to kind of economic value. We often kind of back ourselves as operators, so so we do take a view that we're happy to base it on gross 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 profit because. You know, we can control that revenue we do in very, very kind of I think fewer fewer instances. You know, yeah, we we, we do it in fewer and fewer instances. And the instances where we've done it is because, you know, performance and gross margins have been super stable and we didn't see there much risk to that in the future. And the buyer really, really just wanted like more clarity.
0: That's interesting. So I guess what you're saying is really the the thing that matters is economic value and that's driven by SDE or the true profits so really speaking, of SDE EBITDA free cash flow I suppose it's all an approximation roughly isn't it for that stuff as I understand it non-accountant don't play one on the internet but so I guess what you're saying is the other things might be easier to monitor and feel more comfortable but the re- the value of revenue is only a proxy for SDE is is that a fair summary or is am I getting yeah it
1: I, I think that I think that's right Okay. because the, the risk for a, the risk for a buyer using a revenue um, link turnout is you're you're taking a punt that the as revenue grows economic value will grow and we all know that you know margins could compress ppc could get more expensive so we, we do that that's why it's a little bit rarer but, but we've done it in the past i think the the other important component here is is your earnout uncapped or is there a cap on it and is the downside uncapped or is there a cap on it and that's that's something that you need to make sure you understand, because some some sellers say, "Look, I I want like a financially certain outcome in 12 months." So we've come up with structures where we said, "Okay, we'll cap the downside to a certain level, but we'll also cap the upside to a certain level." So you know, it just kind of it just kind of like adds some safeguards in terms of how high or low the earnout could be. And for some people that works, other people are like. I'm going to take the risk both ways. I back you elevate to grow the business. Let's have an uncapped earnout, and, and they're ready to go. So it just depends on, you know, people's risk profile and, and kind of, you know, how much they believe in the business and kind of, you know, its growth prospects.
0: Yeah, that does make sense. I was one obvious question I was going to ask you. Okay, so you get 20%, you prefer that more transparent deal which makes sense to me that it's 20% higher SDE if that's a metric you're going for that you get 20% better earnout that, that's and yeah. presumably I was about to say and I guess if it drops 50% that you get 50% less and I presume that it would have to be structured that way for fairness really. Yeah
1: or, or you can introduce an element that the earnout payment can be never be a number less than zero so you don't have to pay the buyer. There's just there's so many different ways to, to cut this my advice to, to most sellers, if you're going to go down this route, is just be upfront with what your um, financial objectives are and what's important to you because the, the landscape at the moment is really competitive and good buyers will listen to what you're saying, they will process that, and they'll come up with a structure that gets you what you want. And, and that's really key. And that, that it's a great time to be, to be a seller of a business because there are many buyers and the good buyers will listen to what it is that you're trying to solve for and they'll help present a structure that works.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so I'm going to guess you could really say it's a seller's market at the moment. I mean, which isn't to say that all businesses are sellable or or valuable, but yeah. if you have something of quality, I guess to start with, if you've got something of quality, unless it's sheer dumb luck, and that can happen to a degree, but I don't see a lot of that over the course of a few years when I mean, you have one good season. But I mean, most of the people I know, they've got good businesses because they're sharp enough operators. So. Therefore, yeah, they should sit down and, and take what they built seriously, I guess, is what you're saying partly. And, and I like the fact that, I mean, what I'm getting from you is a vibe of just transparency almost seems to be your preferred option. Because I guess it's kind of, it It always strikes me that, that, and we're going to be talking in the next episode, just sort of teasing that one I guess that we're going to be talking about what to look for when you're, you know, considering a buyer or an aggregator, or you know, a buyer generally as as a seller. But one of the things that strikes me is this: that if there's a mismatch between underlying economics and the operations, or the way that an aggregator operates, or any buyer, there's going to be a crash at some point. And what you're seem to be talking about is if it grows twenty percent, you do twenty percent better, allowing for caps and other complications. If the value of the business is higher because the SD's grown, you should get paid more. So, in other words, it feels to me like your natural inclination is to be led by basic economics and and make the deal structure around that, and then what the buyers' objectives are, which which to me makes a lot of sense and it's it's very reassuring.
1: Yeah, hundred yep. percent. I think that's in like I, I worked in private equity, and private equity has got like a bad name because they're very good deal doers. They're sharp. And often you'll just try to renegotiate because you can, you know, I'd I'd much rather buy a really good business and have a structure that gets the people selling it to me to be really excited and, and secure and win that deal than just cut sharp deals. So, so yeah, like what, what we really try to solve for is like, we want all our sellers to have a great experience. And, and if they do, that will help build our brands and that will win us more deals in the long, the long run. So that's what we solve for.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. The thing is about PE, you can probably, if you've got crazy amounts of money with you and you sit in an office in Wall Street or the City of London... And, you know, uh, with a capital C, by the way, the city of London, just anyone listening, he's not in in America, in Britain, it it doesn't just mean London, it means basically the equivalent of Wall Street, just so you know, and and the sharp deals get done. And if you got incredible amounts of money, and you're never going to go into that space again, it probably doesn't matter. Whereas you guys, you know, the first thing I did, you got in touch on email, and I asked a bunch of Amazon sellers what they thought of you. And that's really how it works, isn't it? And therefore, Mm. I guess it's too small a pond to to behave badly for very long and uh, I I like your approach to this stuff. So, we let's wrap up a little bit on this whole deal structure piece. Some really great thoughts here. What should I have asked you? What things should should we be thinking about that I haven't asked you yet?
1: So, I think the the one kind of one kind of theme that we're seeing at the market just recently is se- sellers are getting more sophisticated around asking better questions. To buyers, and one of the things that a bunch of sellers have realised is, hang on, the people buying my business haven't been around very long. They've been around, you know, they're new entrants, and, and there's varying levels of kind of experience running e-commerce. So, so what 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 we're getting probed more with is, hey, I'd actually like more cash at close because I just don't trust any of you. So, so that's an interesting theme that I've seen recently, and, and you know, the key there is like. We've got a good operating pedigree. So we stand behind that and we take people through you know some of the things that we do with our businesses. But but it's something that I've noticed, it's something that I've kind of noticed more recently. I, I don't know where that trend will go to, but but it's it's a recent theme. The other thing that I've seen is a bunch of people are basically running around trying to aggregate different assets, put them into a spAC. And I, I just kind of caution any seller who 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 gets approached like that, just go ask a good lawyer or a good auditor around. Is that possible? And can you actually list that type of an entity? Because I think the answer for that is really, really complicated. So just don't don't be seduced by some of the big numbers that people could be throwing at you, which is a whole. We could just go down a a massive rabbit hole on that. But it's something. Uh, Yeah. yeah. So
0: I guess it comes down to like they they say that there's there's the old drivers of the stock market that are going to screw you up are fear and greed, right? So the market goes all all fearful. So March twenty. 20, and I really wish I'd put more money into the market, but that's like the fish that got away. There were so many incredible companies that were going to survive COVID that were just on the floor in terms of valuation. And then equally, you have your crazy periods like in 1999 or 2008, Mm. when things are overvalued. This feels like a sort of, amazon specific version of that so on the one hand you've got sellers getting so sophisticated that they're actually getting cynical which means they're not being skeptical i.e asking for proof but they're they're believing nobody i'd like more cash at close because i don't trust any of you strikes me that they've gone too far and that actually they're lumping everyone together. And I, I know from this kind of conversations and conversations with uh, sellers and, and people who have sold their businesses that, that all aggregators are not created equal and that many have good operating pedigree and many don't. So that's the one thing that's striking me, I would say to anyone listening, educate yourself. That's what we're doing right now. We're trying to educate you. And the other one is, the opposite one is maybe that credulity that somebody offers you 6X and you go, that's a bigger number than 4X, I'm gonna take that deal, right? So I guess you're, cautioning people against both extremes here i'm putting words into your mouth i mean is that is that fair you know, we,
1: we, we we had a deal close in february someone offered them six times we we couldn't figure it out they came back eight weeks later and said they just they got all the analysis wrong they tried to cut price and then we ended up buying the company so so asking the right questions up front and and just verifying that the bid is real it sounds really simple and it's really exciting when you meet a lot of different buyers and, and you're going down that journey but you've got to qualify the one of the the golden rules of like when people in investment banking is qualify the buyers and if you're doing it yourself like you have to qualify the buyers and ask the right questions
0: brilliant well that leads very neatly into the next episode of course which we'll deal with that in detail but in the meantime i was about to say let's get people to get in touch with you if they want to know more before we send a bunch of people your way doing like $3000 a month or something is there a sort of minimum business size that you generally deal with
1: yeah, it's it's a great question. So if you if you if you come to us and the deal doesn't work out, then either it's too small or it's the wrong niche. We're happy to refer you to other people that we know. There's, there's different buy like if the deal is too small to us, we, we actually refer deals to ex sellers who are Amazon guns and they're buying these businesses and and you know, when it when it kind of grows, we've basically said to them, we're like, we'd love it if you could sell it back to us. So, so if the business or the opportunity is too small, there are people that we can introduce you to who would be interested in buying your business. And then likewise, you know, typically what we look we're looking for at the moment is many people have a similar list. It's like a leading brand in a great niche with a good review mode that has that digital shelf space. And, and for us, you know, typically the the the, the eBITDA that we look for, or the SDE at the moment is kind of anything north of, of half a million. But that said, you know, we, we've bought businesses where it's been three hundred, and and we've grown them immensely because we can kind of see the potential. So, yeah, I think we're, we look at we look at everything, and if it doesn't work for us, we're more than happy to refer you to people who it might.
0: Excellent. So that's not not a massive sort of barrier. So I guess. I guess because uh, I'm just trying to protect your inbox there. So, Jeremy, so no, that's if, fine. if people want to get in touch, if they're doing anywhere north of say three hundred thousand EBITDA a year, I guess we're talking dollars. Then it sounds like they should get in touch. What's the best way people can get in touch with you or your team?
1: Yeah, so you can you can either go through the website at elevatebrands.io. Or just just search it in the Google machine and you should you should find us. Or, or feel free to drop me a line at jeremy at elevatebrands.io.
0: Good. Well, this has been very, very interesting insight into, you know, some different ways of looking at it. I like that MA background shines through because you've just got that kind of clarity uh, about the deal structure that that's really, really helpful. And as you say, as the sellers of businesses get more sophisticated. And so I'm hoping that you and I can help them get more sophisticated and that's kind of the aim i want to send them in there equipped to have intelligent conversations and serve themselves and their brands well so jeremy been great stuff looking forward to talking about you know doing your due diligence the other way around on the on the buyers but for the moment many many thanks for coming on the show
1: now it's been a pleasure thank you michael
0: Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unami's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.TheEcommerceLeader.com.